most of you have um, heard of J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings. He is uh, certainly very famous and has become more and more famous um, as of recently. That You know, there were probably, I don't know, maybe ten years ago, there were three movies that came out uh, on The Lord of the Rings, and then recently... Um, Oh my goodness, it just slipped my mind. The Hobbit series of movies that came. And it is, um, he's someone that many people uh, may have never known anything about, but they know much about him now. But one of the things that, um, uh, if you don't know much about him, that you you could, would be neat to to study if you wanted to, or you could read about was, of course, he was really good friends with C.S. Lewis. And... uh, but one of the struggles for him throughout his life was just uh, like finishing a project like Lord of the Rings. He worked on it for decades and uh, really had kind of made it to a place where he thought he would never kind of be able to finish it or to press on. And, and um, I think C.S. Lewis was a big part of encouraging him to do so. Uh, but also there was a point where one morning, I believe, he woke up and a story came to his mind. And he entitled the story Niggle. And uh, Niggle was, uh, and, and by the way, that word, and kind of an old English uh, understanding of it, would be one that would spend a lot of time on details that really didn't matter. And of course, he saw himself that way, where he would focus in on something and get lost in it and then never really kind of make any headway. And uh, he wrote the story about Niggle, who was an artist. And he was an artist that had envisioned this beautiful tree. And so he worked on it his whole life. And um, after he died and someone had moved into his house, they found uh, this, this giant, you know, uh, like starting. It was really like the starting of the tree, but they found this giant uh, piece there. And all that was on it was a little leaf. That was all he had completed in his whole life was a leaf. And uh, he was very discouraged by that. And when he was carried off, and, you know, of course, in this story, put on a train to the heavenly city that he was going to, as he journeyed there and he got there, he saw that tree that he had envisioned. It was a tree that he had wanted to paint his whole life. It was there. And people were finding joy in it and experiencing the wonder of it. But in this life, he never really ended up with anything but a leaf. Sometimes I think when we think about work, um, we, we may just think of it, you know, from the standpoint of the curse. And maybe we never really think about how our work glorifies God or serves other people. Um, <laughs> And that's kind of a danger. But then maybe sometimes we could have kind of too much of a utopian view of it and think that ultimately, like in this life, we will kind of get to see it all take place. The reality is most of us will have great ideas of what we'd long to accomplish, but we won't get to see those to their fullness uh, in this life. And hopefully today you'll be able to understand that and even maybe talk to others about that reality because I think it is very important 
to say that work is to glorify God. And when we say work, I just want to stop and say, again, that is not just an occupation where you make money. Uh, we think, when we think of work, sometimes we do think that's where I put my 40 hours in. No, God has given us callings, work, occupations, if you will, some that are going to like provide for the needs of our family, let's say, and some that are going to be things that would be like a mom who's, who she wears this hat. It's a calling. It's an occupation that she has as a part of what she does in this life. And it doesn't really produce any maybe income, you could say, or she doesn't have to go clock in. She's always clocked in, you know. And so you kind of have to think in terms of bigger picture of, of what we're talking about when we're thinking about this. But it is a means to glorify God and serve others. And um, we need to kind of, I think, really think in those terms and understand that. Because I, we started out last week and we said, look, the pattern is, is work is good. God, God worked. We are to work. I mean, work is a wonderful thing. There's dignity in our work. As image bearers, we're unique in God's creation that you are able to, to do a specific work that, that benefits other people. You're able to cultivate the ground. We're able to do actual things. I love last week and use the illustration from the book. I, I told you that you can go and read uh, by Tim Keller, Every Good Endeavor. But he talks about the fact that we are not a park rangers. And uh, we don't just pave over the creation and just forget about it. But we are gardeners that cultivate the world that God has created, and we are doing that and trying to do it well in such a way that maybe reordering things in order to make them more fruitful and valuable. And so work is, is good. It's, it's, it's a value. Uh, work is a service to, to God and to humanity. Work is the means by which God providentially accomplishes his plan. And we talked about last week where you pray, uh, uh, give us this day our daily bread. How does God providentially give us this day our daily bread? He accomplishes that through the working of people. And, and we said that uh, Luther called this the mask of God. People are the mask of God cultivating this earth and, and producing things that others might uh, be able to experience and enjoy those. We talked also about how God has given us a calling there's a calling to work, and those callings, and, and they may change throughout life, but these callings that he gives us, uh, we, we are to serve him well and to serve others in them. And so right now where you are, you may say, I don't like where I'm at, but it is the calling he's placed upon your life in this moment, and you do that, and we do that and do that well. So we said work was good last week. This week we're going to look at the curse of work. And see that in light of what happened in, in light of the fall. And so hopefully you'll understand that. And maybe touch on a little bit uh, how work is restored. And so we're going to look at all those things. Maybe it'll help you uh, as you consider your calling or callings in this life. So let's get started. Okay, so we could say work is cursed. And as a result, there are problems with work. One of the problems is work becomes uh, fruitless. So I want you to turn to Genesis 3, verse 16 through 19. It says, as you go there, you, you'll look at it, but you know this passage probably very well. This is a picture of the fall 
in verse 16, it starts, it says, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat from it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, all we, we're just going to kind of move through this quickly. But this, we see here paradise is lost. Adam and Eve are going to be cast out of the garden. They come under the curse. All the great wonder of being in the garden where uh, you always would reap what you sowed. It was beautiful and wonderful and enjoyable and delight. You delight in all these things. Now they're going to be cast out of the garden and uh, they will will experience uh, the curse. And part of that will be that that life for them will become difficult. Now, um, what happened was Adam and Eve, instead of saying God created the world and owns it, and he he is uh, he has placed us on the earth to to reign under his reign. They rejected that and said, "I want the place of God, and I want to be the ultimate ruler of the universe." That that's kind of what happened. But what they did was is they did get what they they wanted. They they kind of stepped in this place of God, but it brought all kinds of difficulties as a result. And that's something I remember a few years ago hearing somebody talk about how we take something that, that God has designed and we twist it and use it for the wrong purpose and it brings about like damning results. And, and they use the example of Drano, you know, like it's one thing to pour Drano down a sink. It's another one to drink it yourself, you know, I mean, you, you, there's a problem there. We, that would be a ma- massive ordeal if you were to do something like that. Uh, but here's the thing. It's that same way. Whenever God designs something some way and we disrupt the design, it totally brings about destruction. And that's what happened um, in this. And so you're going to see work actually coming under the curse. One author says, there's something worse than physical death that takes place here. Sin leads to the disintegration of every area of life, spiritual, physical, social, cultural, psychological, temporal, and eternal. You know what's interesting too? Sometimes you get around people, and this is really easy, especially, we talked about this a little bit last week, but in that revivalist kind of movement where many of us have kind of grown up in and been around, where they're going to divide the secular from the sacred, serving God and serving the world. They, They would see, there's certainly a division like that in Scripture, but it's not necessarily saying, okay, secular work, serving the devil, kind of, and, and, and spiritual work is serving God and being in the church. And they would kind of divide those two. And the reality is that's not a healthy way to think because one of the things that's just kind of, and, and, and it should help you as you think about it, is that um, we can't divide it that way because sin affects all aspects of the world. Every part of the human life, soul and body, private and public, Praying and laboring, sin affects that. All aspects of life are, are, are affected by that. So paradise is lost. 
um, things begin to fall apart. Uh, there's almost like this kind of restlessness within humanity, and you see it all around wherever you go. It's kind of, it's, it's almost like you, you could see people and you can see them either feeling guilty and striving to, to prove themselves, or you see them trying to be independent, and you're looking at all this stuff going on around you, and you think, um, what are people trying to do? They're trying to find the, like fulfillment in life, and yet they're living in a fallen world. At the root of all this is separation from God. Why? Because God designed man to be united to him in a perfect relationship, that relationship ruined by the fall, and it must be restored. Okay, so... Another thing that we just see is, and, and it, this is just something when we think about work, it says thorns and thistles come up. Uh, this is, you know, and, and you and I both know if you have a yard, you have uh, uh, weeds come up every year and you're always fighting them. Some people get to the point to where they get a professional to fight the weeds in their yard. Uh, if you own like a, a, a farm, then I'm sure that you would spend a lot of money every year fighting the weeds, you know. But it's one of those things where you see uh, the, the idea here is, and we got to think about it in this way, I think, that the idea of gardening, of farming, if you will, in, in this way is, is, is a way to think of all aspects of life and work. Work is not itself a curse, but it lies under the curse now, which is something that all of us, I think, need to understand. It's all kinds of human labor and culture building is kind of what gardening is. And we have to understand that it faces that, that the frustration comes as a result of the fall. And so this is going on. It's something we see in every aspect of our life. Um, Again, uh, Keller mentions, in all our work, we will be able to envision far more than we can accomplish both because of lack of ability and because of the resistance of the environment around us. The experience of work will include pain, conflict, envy, and fatigue, and not all of our goals will be met. You know, he, he mentions, he says, you may have an aspiration to, be a certain, uh, uh, to do a certain kind of work and perform at a certain level of skill and quality, but you may never, ever get the opportunity to do the work you want. Or if you do, you may never get the even get the opportunity to do uh, that um, as well as it needs to be done. How many times have you heard, like for instance, even growing up, someone say to a kid, "You can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want." You know, and uh, they're like, "I want to be a football player. I want to play on the NFL on an NFL team." You look over at his dad, and you're like, "He ain't gonna ever make it." Y'all ever felt like that? Like, you just don't have it. You know, it's, it's, I know you got the heart, but you don't have the, you know. But anyway, it's just one of those things, <clears throat> things that we look at in this life and we think sometimes uh, that is just the reality that we face over and over. And we have to deal with that in a fallen world. We have to really accept the idea that sometimes because of the curse, that all of the work, even the best well, and most well-done work that we ever accomplished will not be fruitful. And that's just um, an aspect of this life being in it. I, I read uh, about a, a guy, he was saying his family, his parents and grandparents, uh, they just wanted, they grew up in the Depression in that, that era, and they just wanted, they, they did whatever they could just to survive. And then maybe he said, like, if I look at my kids... 
they're wanting something out of work more than that. They're saying, I want to do something that makes me passionate, makes me feel like I'm doing something of great value to the world and all this kind of stuff. One group maybe has a lower view of the biblical understanding of work, where work is more than just getting a paycheck. The other group puts such a burden on work in a fallen world, it will never meet up to that expectation. And so all of us find ourselves kind of having to deal with that in a fallen world. Now, so what do we do as Christians? Um, We put our hope in God and we say, God created this world. It is fallen, but he is going to restore it. That we run through that train of thought, his story of redemption. We know that we're not ultimately going to be discouraged. We, like Niggle, will one day get on a train to the heavenly city and all those things that we dreamed to be, we will find fulfillment in in, in the fullest way more than we could ever imagine in the future. So there's an aspect for us where we say uh, work is glorious. We live in a fallen world. We're awaiting the world to come. And if we can keep that in our minds, then we can work freed up to say, oh, I'm going to glorify God and benefit others with all of my life, even in spite of the fact that there will be many frustrations along the way. There is a song that we sing at Christmas, and it says, no more let sin or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. As Christians, we're longing for a future when all things again will be made right. And fruitlessness will be no more. Don't you love to read the prophets? Where there's places there where you say, the sower, the seed, like, he's, it's almost like he can't throw out the seed quick enough because the harvest has come. And right behind it, someone is almost like overtaking him, harvesting it. It's a beautiful picture and it's something we need to see. Also, living in a fallen world, sometimes work can become pointless. Can you think of a book in the Bible that looks at work and is like, it's all pointless. Ecclesiastes come to mind. I mean, it's one of those uh, books that, what does it do? It sets up for us life under the sun without a view towards God. Without seeing God, I'm just living life under the sun and looking at this situation and going, it's all pointless. The reality is, even though you can see beyond the sun as a Christian here, you're still struggling with that. You're still seeing things that way. Ecclesiastes 2.17, you can go there if you want, but we're going to kind of look at a couple of passages in Ecclesiastes and try to think about this in a better way. Ecclesiastes 2.17, so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all its vanity and striving after wind. This man's presented himself as the wisest, richest, and most gifted man possible who cannot find fulfillment in this life under the sun. He is faced with the reality of the pointlessness of work. Listen to what he's done. He has pursued pleasure to its fullest degree in 2, 1 through 11. 
He has sought learning and wisdom in one twelve through 18 and 2.12 and 16. He has pursued achievement through hard work in 2.17 through 26. All of it. When he stops and considers all of it, all of it, he says this is meaningless in striving after wind. Some of you here may have that mentality. The problem is that is a mentality that is, I mean, the whole purpose of Ecclesiastes is say, look beyond the sun. Look beyond the sun. It's, you've got to see with a vision of God. You have to have a vision of God as you are working in this life. Because if not, the meaninglessness certainly rushes over you in a moment. Ecclesiastes 2, 18 through 20. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I leave it to the man who will come after me and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all which I toiled and and used uh, my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned about about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toils of my labor under the sun. So you're looking at this and you're seeing him look at the situation and going, this seems so meaningless under the sun. He also speaks of this alienation of work kind of in here. In Ecclesiastes 2, 22 through 23, what is a man from all the toil and striving of, of heart with which he toils beneath the sun for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation even in the night his heart does not rest this is vanity he's looking at again the situation and he's thinking oh my goodness I, I just see it there's a kind of an alienating kind of picture here if you move to Ecclesiastes 5 8 you can write this down we're not going to go all the way there but It speaks of the oppression of the poor and the violence of justice. It's it's one of those things where you're saying, look, look, this alienation aspect where you see the rich like oppressing the poor and pushing them down. You keep moving forward. You can even feel that from others. He says in Ecclesiastes 4, 7 and 8, I saw vanity under the sun. One person has uh, no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. He's deprived himself, this person in the picture there, of having real relationships, striving to do more and more and more with his work. And he says, I look at that and I see the foolishness of it all. Yet at the same time, he's going to pick that back up He's going to look at work and he's going to help you think about maybe what you should do with with the idea of really thinking about your your choices with regard to work. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.22, So I saw that there's nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. In 3.13, And that also should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is a gift. uh, This is God's gift to man. So he's kind of looking at it on two different levels. Maybe you could say there's one aspect where if you can't see beyond the sun, it just seems like what a waste. But with a view towards God, he has given us this gift of work 
to glorify himself and to bless other people. And if you can rightly see that. And what happens at the end of Ecclesiastes, he says, when all is said and done, love God and keep his commandments. What's at the heart of the commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? It means I use whatever God has called me to do. I do that with that view and that vision in mind. If you do it without that vision in mind, you will have wasted your life. One last thing that kind of makes you think about this. There is something of him dealing with the issue of like the work and rest theme where we are called really like we said last week six days to work on the seventh day rest there is that theme within the created order that God has given us and he speaks of that in Ecclesiastes 4 he said the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh meaning he does nothing better is a handful of quietness than two hands fulls of toil and striving after wind so it's like don't fold your hands, but don't make work the ultimate. Because there is a place where God is saying you work and rest, you work and rest, you work and rest, and you enjoy those things as best as we can, certainly in a fallen world. Ultimately, in Christ, we would say, the scripture says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, uh, upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly of heart you will find rest for your souls there's this aspect of uniting yourself to Christ and working uh, as you are yielded to the Lord Jesus now so we could say work can become fruitless or becomes fruitless as a result of the fall it becomes pointless but a Christian has to kind of look beyond and see kind of the bigger picture here uh, another thing work becomes selfish You see it all the time where people are working for no other reason than for themselves. You have people say this to you. Why why are you working? I'm working for me and for my family. Only reason. You know, it's almost kind of like the only reason that I exist, the only reason I go to work is for selfish reasons alone. Now, one way that you see this is in Genesis 11 where people are making a name for themselves. Y'all remember that? They said, remember, it's the Tower of Babel. Come, Genesis 11, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heaven and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed throughout the earth. Safety and security they wanted and they wanted a name for themselves. They were building, they were building what they were building for their own glory. They were living to glorify themselves, you could say. One of the reasons work is fruitless and pointless is something that we just have to think about is that that powerful desire to make work and all of its benefits the basis and meaning for our lives and existence. It's, it's, it's not to benefit, but rather to benefit ourselves. Power and security become the driving force. What are people working for? And that, that is, again, a question all throughout. By the way, preachers, business leaders, attorneys, teachers, you, you don't even matter the profession. You always have to ask that question. 
Is it to maximize your power, glory, your autonomy, to boast in your ability? Or is it to really serve and glorify God? I mean, that's kind of the big question that happens over and over and over again. Human pride is often at the root of our work. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, pride... uh, He says, I want you to get this clear. Pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very own nature. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something. Listen to this. Out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. So work can become selfish. Lewis shows that you can, you know, a tall, people can build, either build a taller building, faster computer, cheaper airline, more luxurious hotel out of an interest in excellence and service to human beings, or we can do so in a race to move our organization and ourselves into a position to look down on others. I mean, that's just a reality. So you and I, I mean, we have to think all the time about what, I mean, like think Christianly. I really think there's a lot of people that on Sunday mornings like to think Christianly. They love to go to Bible studies and talk Christianly. But when it happens to like move outside there in the world, like they don't, they don't know how to even think Christianly. Nobody even talks about how to really get that. And that's one of the things Mike Smith we spent hours talking about, but like, how do you get that on the ground out there where, where life is lived? How, how do I think about that and, and really examine myself in that place? Now, nobody, and Anna's always kind of taking shots at me. No, she, but she really, she, she's helped me really think about that. The, the reality is that nobody, even the most loving Morally beautiful people in the world still fall prey to motives of self-interest, fear, and glory-seeking. Nobody escapes in the church, in this church, or outside the church. It is a struggle that we face throughout our lives. Now, a couple few more things here as we're thinking about that. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, we, we looked at work becoming fruitless, work becoming uh, pointless, work be- it, it becomes selfish. We kind of looked at all that stuff. But I think it's just important just to ask yourself a couple more things to think about. Is, is what if you were seeking to glorify God and, and honor Him in all that you were doing, uh, and, and God gives you a place and you excel in it in this life? Uh, that could be a very, uh, really could be a, a great possibility uh, in the culture and in the country that you live in, uh, what do you do with that? When you think about the Bible and you're thinking about somebody, you would say, I want to read a story about somebody, a great Christian leader. Most of the time, if you're honest, you would be thinking about a preacher or a missionary or some evangelist or what you might say that those are great Christian leaders. But the Bible doesn't just give us those people. Joseph, Daniel, Esther, they're not what you would call these great Christian leaders in the sense of working in the church 
they were working what we would say in the world. You know, they they were working out there uh, in places of, of, of secular places. And one of the things you see about them is they're in these high places and positions in the culture. Now, what did this lead to? Some of them, uh, or all, I mean, I guess you could say all three of them found themselves in the palace, if you will, facing great struggles as they sought to glorify God in it. These, these people who were in political offices, right? Or in, 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 in great areas of industry, watching over those kind of things. As they found themselves there, there were times where they were faced with great dilemmas as a result. Esther, that example of Esther, you think about her and you see her face. She's in this place, this position, and God placed her there. And all of a sudden, the whole of the Jewish people were going to be destroyed. And, and Mordecai comes to her and says, listen, you were placed in this place for such a time as this. And she says, if I perish, I perish. And she moves forward serving God. You think about Joseph. Joseph is faced with that. And he is faced with so many different struggles along the way. Or Daniel, where he is going to serve God. But at the same time, he is a great blessing to the culture that he is living in. Uh, so we see that kind of as we move all the way through. So the, I think the question we have to constantly ask ourselves is, like as we live in a place of prominence and you have blessings and all those kind of things, there are temptations along the way and you have to live and say, I want to steward that position and serve God faithfully. It is a gift from God and I want to benefit others at whatever cost. Uh, we want to live in a way that would bring glory to God again and blessing to others. That's what she did. She moved forward, laying aside her life in the service of others. Now, I think it's, it's just important that you see that as you're moving through your life and you think about um, the fact that sometimes that if you're going to follow the Lord and He blesses you with the, the, these, these gifts and you use those well and you find yourself in a place of leadership or authority... You have to constantly say, I want to risk, I'm willing to risk my influence, money, power, etc. to be a blessing to other people. I'm going to use it to the glory of God in the good of others at whatever cost. I am not going to live as if this is where it's at. But I'm looking beyond to this heavenly realm, the heavenly city, the heavenly future that has been afforded me. Now, we look at that and we think about it and we think work certainly becomes fruitless, becomes pointless, becomes selfish in a fallen world. But the reality is Christ has redeemed us so that we would live differently than the way in which we often do when we think about our work. We need to think, for instance... When we're looking at the fruitlessness of work, we need to look to Jesus and know that he is going to restore everything and make it fruitful. And as a result, I can trust that ultimately, whatever I might face along the way in the occupations that God and callings that he's placed on my life, that ultimately everything will be restored. I think when we look at it and say, this seems so pointless we need to return to him in faith and rest in the fact that he has finished the work 
and at the same time given us work to do. That's what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift from God, not as a result of, uh, of works, lest any man should boast. But then it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We, we, we're free then to say, No, it's not pointless. He saved us to do something, to serve him, to honor him, to be a blessing. There is no clearer picture of this than the book of Titus, where in Titus chapter 2, it says Christ redeemed us to make us a people who are fruitful. We are doing good works. In Titus chapter 2, that chapter, it seems to emphasize works within the church. In Titus chapter 3, the first part of that emphasizes works within the world. And both of those, now we're free to do it and say, it is not pointless. Christ saved us so that we might do good works in his name. And I guess the last one, when work can become selfish, instead, we, don't, we really don't have to live and protect our position. We are positioned in Christ and we are free to risk the palace. We're free to risk those things so that we might benefit other people and not be selfish. The gospel, it it furnishes us with the resources to do all of these things. It functions to give us a storyline, creation, fall, redemption. It functions to give us um, like a, a conception of work that sees us partnering with God in His world, loving and and, and doing the will of God in this world and caring for it. It functions to help us um, live by new ethical standards where we're saying like this is the way God is and we want to act like God as we go into whatever aspects God calls us to. And finally, the gospel changes our motivation for work and fills us with the power to do it. That is so important. Both of those things, he radically changes our motives for work. And then he says, by the power of the Spirit, I'm going to give you the ability to do that. And so hopefully today, as you think about work, you know work is good. At the same time, it comes under the curse. And in all aspects, the Christian life should be spent knowing that God is about redeeming and making all things new. He's doing that in us, and we want to shine as lights in this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of, of, of the, this message that you've given us of Christ coming to save us. We pray that we would not be just people who have a tendency to see work in this world in a worldly way, but that we would see it with the eyes of faith that we would look at it beyond the sun, that we would see it from a heavenly perspective, that we would be transformed by that and that we would be free to now, to work and to serve and to give and to love people as an expression of your hands, that we, that we would do well in doing the things that you've called us to do so that your name uh, would be glorified as a result. In Christ's name, amen.